Good morning, everyone. We're going to be in the uh, Gospel of John this morning, chapter 11. If you, um, if you have your Bibles, I always ask to make sure that you follow along with me. As a matter of fact, uh, through the main part of the text, we won't even put it up on the screen, but um, <clears throat> for the Supporting text, as I mention them, we'll, we'll flash them up. But um, I want you to see it from your own word, what God has to say to you this morning. If you don't have your Bible with you, if you've got a phone, I mean, most everybody has a phone. Uh, you can get on the App Store, yeah, whether you have uh, the App Store from iTunes or the Play Store from Google or whatever you have. Every one of them will have a free ESV Bible, English Standard Version Bible. And that's what I'm preaching from this morning, so um, I would encourage you to go ahead and download it so that you've got it some way and you can keep up and see it for yourself. But we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 17 through 44. Verses 17 through 44. Now when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met Him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met Him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. 
And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Did y'all see why Jesus did this? That they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning, um, before we go any further, God, we just want to ask that, um, Lord, You would speak to us. Lord, we don't want to hear just um, the words of, a, of another human being. Father, everybody in here has got something to say, but only You have anything worth saying. And so, Father, we want to hear from You. Lord, this is Your Word. You said it's living and it's powerful. Father, You said that it will not come back to You void when You send it out. And so, Father, we're asking You this morning that You would... Speak Your Word to us, that You would send it out, Father, that it would be alive and that it would have its power and, and, and it would work in us, Lord. And so, Father, we just pray, God, that um, whatever You have to say to us this morning, that we would hear it, Father, that we would receive it, that it would accomplish Your purpose, and, Father, that we would forever be changed because of what You have said to us. Father, I thank You for um, the ones that are here this morning. And Father, I pray for the ones that are not here, the ones that are still traveling or, um, or wherever they may be this morning. Father, we just lift them up to you and pray that you would keep them safe and bring them back to us safely soon. Father, we pray for those this morning that are, are suffering, that are hurting. Father, we lift them up to you this morning. We just pray, God, that all of our faith would be strengthened. Father, we pray that our hope and our peace would just be increased because of the word that you speak to us this morning. Father, we love you. Forgive us where we fall so short of, um, of worshiping you the way you deserve. But Father, thank you for your mercy, your grace, and we know that it only comes through Jesus and his precious blood. Father, we ask for these things in his precious name. Amen. This morning, I want to, um, I want to see what it is that we can learn from this passage of Scripture about how we are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly what is it that we are supposed to believe in Him that actually brings us hope and peace in all of our darknesses? Now, I have picked this particular text this morning, not, not just because we've recently lost a loved one, but because this is the grand finality, the grand finale, if you will. And so I've picked this text because the, it, actually... The entire, book, the entire gospel of John was written for one purpose. In John chapter, twi- uh, yeah, in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, the entire purpose is, is laid out to this. It says, Now Jesus did many other what? Signs. 
Now what you're going to see is this word sign is used just about in every chapter of the Gospel of John. And it will say, Jesus did this sign because of this. Or Jesus did this sign to fulfill this scripture. And so what you're going to see here is that John's purpose for writing this book is that he wants to tell you about the signs that Jesus did. But he can't tell you all of them. Matter of fact, he goes on to say later that if you were to try to contain all the signs that Jesus did in a book, it would cover the entirety of the heavens. That literally, There is no way that you could contain everything that Jesus did to prove who He was in a single book. But the ones that John recorded, He recorded them for you and told them in this order for this reason. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these signs are written. I picked out these is what John is saying. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So as we study the Gospel of John, you need to study it in this context. This is a book written about all the signs that Jesus did so that people then and now can look at them and believe that Jesus indeed was and is the Christ. That is another word for the Messiah. He was the one that has been proclaimed to be coming into the world that is going to come to conquer all of our darknesses. You remember in the garden whenever uh, 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 God was handing out the disciplines and the punishments for what took place in the fall of man. And he comes to uh, the woman and he says a little prophecy in this. He says, the seed of the woman is going to come and he is going to crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And what God was saying, and they knew it throughout all the Old Testament, they were waiting on a coming king, a coming conqueror, a coming one who was going to remove and destroy all the darkness that is in this world. And what you see through the Gospel of John is that Jesus comes in and He conquers this darkness in our lives. He says, this darkness has nothing on me, I defeat it easily. Then He comes to another situation and He defeats this darkness. Then He comes to another situation and He defeats this darkness. And the entirety of the Gospel of John is about all the things that Jesus did that prove that He was the coming one that we've been waiting on that will conquer all of our darknesses one day. So His first coming was to purchase our redemption first and foremost and to prove to the world that He is the one that is going to defeat all of sin and its consequences therein. So as we read that, you're going to be able to see that. In John chapter 1, or let me show you just a few of these verses so you see this. In John chapter 2 verse 11. Did I give you those, Nathan? I don't remember if I did. Yeah. Notice we start out in John chapter 2. This, the first of His what? Signs. Jesus did in Cana, at Cana in Galilee and He manifested or He revealed 
His glory. And what was the result of it? His disciples believed. And so you're going to see this theme going all the way through the Gospel of John. And as you read it, you need to read it in that light. What is it that John wants me to see about Jesus that will help me to believe in who He is? That will help me to increase in my faith because of what I see that He has done. The evidence that is there. If you were to go with me to John chapter 2 verse 23. Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw what? The signs that He was doing. John chapter 3 verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and here's what Nicodemus said to him. Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these what? Signs that you do unless God is with them. So there again, he's revealing the signs that Jesus was doing so that there were even Pharisees like Nicodemus who were coming and saying, we've seen what you've done. You're proving who you are. And Nicodemus wasn't quite there yet, but it was the signs that was proving that God was with him. Alright, go with me to John chapter 4, verse 53 through 54. The Father knew that... The Father knew that was the hour that Je- when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. And so what we see in there is that Jesus healed a man, and you'll see that when he healed this, this man's son, I'm sorry, and he told him, he said, Your son will be healed. Go your way. And as the man was going, his servant came to him and said, Hey, your son's healed. And he said, what time was it? He said, well, your son got better about this time. And the man remembered. That was the time that Jesus said, go, your son will live. And because of that, he himself believed in all his household. And look at verse 54. Now, this this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So again, do you see the progression? Do you see what's going on? And you can follow the Gospel of John through here and you can continue to see this happen. Uh, John chapter 6 verse 2. I'll do just a few more and then I'm going to get off of it. John chapter 6 verse 2. And a large crowd was following Him. Why? They saw the signs that He was doing. Alright, go to 6 verse 26. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs. So in other words, it was for the signs that they were supposed to believe. But even though they saw the signs, they weren't seeking Him because they saw the signs and they believed that He was the Messiah. But instead, they followed Him because they saw the signs and they ate their fill of the loaves. So in other words, their temporary satisfaction, the temporary need was filled. And so now they're looking to get their next meal, their next thing. And so he says to them, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. So here's what I'm trying to get across. In In all these texts, what you're going to see is that there's a difference in believing in Jesus as the Messiah and the way you follow Him and just believing in Jesus to 
to uh, fulfill your next need or your next desire in life. And how many of us are like this group right here? We follow Jesus because now there's a need in our life. Okay, Jesus, I need you to fix this darkness in my life. I need you to fix this darkness. And Jesus would step up and say, Yeah, but I can give you this water out of this well. But I've got a water to offer you that if you drink that water, you'll never thirst again. In other words, every time He does a sign, He has to explain to the people, you're so short-sighted that all you see is your temporary need right here and right now. You're not looking far enough ahead. And so we're going to see that this morning as we go through this. We're going to see Jesus displaying His power over hunger as He takes two fish and five loaves and feeds how many? 5,000, that was just the men, plus women and children. We're going to see His power over thirst as He gives not just a, uh, a thirst-quenching water from a well, but a living water that springs up out of her and becomes a, a well that, that uh, water comes out from her. And then we're going to see Jesus have His power over sickness as He heals a lame man. We're going to see His uh, power over disease, His power over the winds, His power over the waves, His power over blindness, on and on and on. The point is that Jesus proves by the signs that He does that He is the Messiah who has come into the world not to fix your temporary darknesses, but to prove that He is the one that is going to conquer all of your darknesses for all eternity. See, today's gospel preaches to you, you need Jesus because He's going to heal your cancer. You need Jesus because He's going to uh, fix your financial situation. You need Jesus because you need your next temporary fix. And Jesus says, that's not exactly what I'm offering you. I'm going to do some signs to show you that I have power to conquer every darkness. Look with me at John chapter 1 verse 5. Notice what John says when he starts this thing out to, to introduce Jesus to you, if he will. And so he says, The light shines in the darkness, talking about Jesus, and the darkness has not what? Jesus, John introduces this book by saying, What I'm fixing to present to you is that God has shown the light in the midst of all of your darkness. And then He's going to show you all the darknesses in the world. But the point of the whole book is after you see everything He does, you're going to know something. The darkness has not overcome the light that came into this world. And He has proven that there is no darkness that He is not going to remove from each and every one of our lives. But... In John chapter 11, we see Jesus facing a darkness that in our minds, this darkness has the final word. I mean, we've seen Jesus um, heal the sick. We've seen Jesus uh, take two fish and five loaves. We've seen Jesus speak to the wind and the waves and say, Peace be still. And the disciples said, Who in the world is this? That even the winds and the waves obey His command. In other words, there is no storm that He can't calm. There is no hunger that He can't satisfy. There's no thirst that He can't quench. There's no sickness that He can't heal. There is no darkness that has overcome Him 
whatsoever. He is the Messiah and the one that promises us that I am coming again and I am going to remove every darkness that you have ever seen, every darkness that this world has ever faced. I'm going to, I'm going to change it. I'm going to fix it. But here in um, John chapter 11, we find some people that they believe in Jesus. They really do. They love Jesus. This family is as close to Jesus as anyone. And they believe that Jesus can do just about anything. I'm talking about He can fix just about any darkness there is and we've seen Him do it. But if you had been here, you could have done something about this. And even now, I believe that whatever you ask from God, He'll do. But if you had been here, but you're just a little bit too late. And we're going to look at that here in just a second. So we're going to see why this sign is done by Jesus. Because when you think about it, Jesus could have healed Lazarus the moment he heard it, right? You remember the, the, the Roman centurion that came to him and said, My son is sick. Please heal him. Please heal him. Come back to my house. And Jesus said, Go your way. Your son will live. And guess what happened? He lived. Jesus did not have to come, but instead He waited four days. Four days before He got there. And we're going to see that Jesus had a reason for doing what He did. So again, I want to answer the question, what can we learn about believing in Jesus from this sign? We're going to find that as we look through here. Start with me in verse um, 17. We'll go to verse 21 to see our first thing that we learn. Now when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met Him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's one of the things that we see in this right here. It is not enough to just believe that Jesus has power over our temporary darknesses that we face in this life. It is not enough to just believe that Jesus can heal my sickness or my loved one's sickness, or Jesus can fix my financial situation, or Jesus can save my child from the trouble that he's in, or Jesus can... You know, that's when we want to believe in Jesus the most, right? Jesus, I need you for this. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. See, you think you need me for a thirst that is easily quenched by the water of this world. You think you need me for a hunger that you can go to the lake and catch your own fish for. You think you need me, and we do need Him for them things, don't we? But He's saying that your ultimate need for Him is not to have power over your temporary darknesses. But instead, your need for Him is to make sure that you understand that He has power to conquer all of the darkness, and that there will be no darkness when He comes back 
to conquer it once and for all. Even our final enemy, which the Bible calls death. The last enemy that will be defeated is death. I think that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 maybe. I believe is where that is. But Martha believed that Jesus could conquer sickness. Martha believed that Jesus could conquer um, hunger, thirst, winds, waves, all the things that she has seen. But it's not just enough to believe that Jesus can conquer a few things in our lives that we need Him to conquer. No, instead, this sign is about believing that He is the Messiah, the one coming into the world that is going to prove that I am going to deliver you from all darkness that is in this world. And we're going to see how important that is for just a minute. In just a minute. So it's not about believing that Jesus will provide our next meal, that He'll heal our next sickness. It's about seeing and believing that Jesus is the one that is going to conquer all the darkness of our sin and that He proved that there is no darkness that He will not deliver us from. Remember again, John chapter 1 verse 5. Light shines in darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. There was not a darkness. We get to Lazarus here. He didn't raise Lazarus from the dead because he was going to raise everybody from the dead at this point. Now, did Jesus raise other people from the dead? Yes, He did. But did Jesus raise everybody from the dead that He walked by? Did Jesus heal a few people who were sick? Yes. Did, Did Jesus heal a bunch of people who were sick? Yes. But did He heal every sick person He came by? You remember the the story of Jesus at the pool of Bethsaida and He goes up to a man that He had been an invalid for all His life, I believe, if I remember right. This is in John 2, John chapter 5, I think. And He comes up to the man and He says, Do you want to be made well? And the man said, Well, yeah, I want to be made well, but every time the water stirs up, because they believed that an angel would stir the water and they would go down in the water and be healed is what they believed. And so all these sick people were gathered around this pool. But Jesus comes to one of them. Just one. And He comes to him and He says, Do you want to be healed? And he said, Well, yeah, but I can't get in there because every time I try to go, they're quicker than me. So I can't get into the water. And Jesus said, Well, if you want to be healed, pick up your bed and walk. And the man picks up his bed and he walks away without ever going into the water. The point that I'm trying to make is this. He only healed one out of who knows how many were gathered around this pool that he couldn't get down into the water for. And so Jesus did not come here to heal every sickness. Listen, Jesus Jesus healed that man. But how many of you know that that man probably got sick again? Jesus came to do the things that He did, to prove who He was, so that people would believe that He was the one that was ultimately going to come and defeat all of the darkness. Your hope and your peace cannot be short-sighted. How many people have lost faith because God didn't heal my loved one? How many people have you seen that hate God because God took their child or God took their, their, their father or God, God didn't do this in their life or God did They are short-sighted because they believe that He could have done it. 
But believing that Jesus can heal your temporary fix is not enough to save you. It's not enough to give you the hope and the peace that you're going to have so that no matter what this life brings... Now, am I saying that Jesus never heals anymore? No. No, I'm not. The Bible says very plainly that that God gives gifts of healing. The Bible says very plainly that, uh, that there were healings after Jesus. Now, so yes, I do believe that God has a way of still healing today. And we've seen it personally many times. Many times. Yes, we we just lost our father, father father-in-law, husband. But how many times did we see God heal him? I'm talking about deliver him from things that that man should not have been delivered from by any other reason other than God healed him. That's it. We've seen it with our own eyes so many times. But we're not so short-sighted as to believe that just because he didn't heal him this time, that now we're hopeless. That now that, where were you, Jesus? If you had been here, you could have done something, but you weren't here. Now, do you believe that Jesus really wasn't there? (laughs) He was there. But they were so short-sighted at this point, all they could think about was, Jesus, if you had been here. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. But if you had been here, We wouldn't be suffering the way we are right now. That short-sightedness and that kind of faith is not the kind of faith that we're trying to achieve. So look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 23 through 25. And I want to show you the kind of faith that we're trying to achieve. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Now listen to that. We groan eagerly. Inwardly, what does it mean to groan? Anybody in here ever done any groaning? Groaning literally, it means that you you don't even have words to express and the only thing you can do is just, oh. Y'all felt that before? Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? He said we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We don't have it yet. Are y'all tracking with me? But let me tell you, this is not short-sighted faith. This is long-sighted. Right now I'm groaning. Right now I'm troubled. Right now I may be hungry. Right now I may be thirsty. But I ain't believing in Jesus just for those things. Because He didn't come here to fix all those things the first time. He came here to purchase my redemption. And He came here to prove that He was the one that when He comes back, I'm going to destroy it all. (laughs) I'm going to destroy it all. And I'm going to make it all new, and I'm going to make you new. And He says here, For in this hope we were what? Saved. Guys, this is your salvation. Faith is the full assurance of what? Hope. Things hoped for. In this faith, you are saved by faith. In this hope, you are saved. What what hope? The hope that is far-sighted, not the hope that is short-sighted. Ken Thomas sitting back there some days, he can't breathe. And I'm going to tell you, I can't imagine what kind of suffering that feels like. Anybody in here ever had to fight for a breath? I can't imagine what that feels like. But Ken can't be short-sighted. 
His hope cannot rise and fall based on whether or not God fixes His breath. If He struggles to breathe to His dying breath, His hope says, one day, one day, I won't struggle to breathe anymore. One day, this old body ain't going to fail me. One day, God's going to give me a body, and I am eager. I'm groaning right now. Listen, you know why this is important? You know how many preachers will preach to you today? we got to trust Jesus that we ain't going to be groaning no more. It was because of, of, um, of for the chastisement of um, our sins, the, it landed on Him, and by His stripes we are what? How many preachers you heard stand up today? By His stripes you are healed. Come on up here. If you don't get your healing, it's because you don't have faith. I want to smack them. Can I say I love you, but you're an idiot? By His stripes, you were healed for eternity. Quit being so short-sighted. And again, I'm not telling you not to pray for healing. God does still heal. But I'm saying anybody that tells you that you don't get healed because you didn't have enough faith, don't smack them, but I wish you could. I wish you could. There ain't no truth. None. None in that. They're short-sighted. And I'm telling you, we need long-sightedness. We were saved in the hope that even though we groan in this body now, even though every sickness is not healed, even though every disease is not healed, even though we suffer now and we have trouble and we have tribulation now in this world, there is coming a day when none of this will be anymore. And guys, it's fast approaching. Remember the last words I said to Eddie Smith laying in the hospital. Um, and I, he was already gone, but I said to him, I said, Eddie, I'll see you shortly. Shortly. I'll see you. Maybe quicker than many of y'all in here today. We don't know. We sure expected many others to go before Eddie, right? We don't know. But one thing I know, I got hope. And it's farsighted. I got hope, and in this hope I've been saved. But let me tell you what Paul says. Hope that is what? Seen is not hope. I don't have it in my possession right now. I don't have complete healing from everything in this mortal body. I don't have every thirst quenched. I don't have every hunger filled and satisfied. I don't. But what I do have is hope. I groan inwardly, eagerly awaiting the redemption, the adoption, the new body that He has prepared for me. For who hopes for what He sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, what do we do? We wait for it with patience. Now this is the difference in the way that we go through suffering, no matter what it is, and the way the world goes through suffering. Do we suffer? Yes. Do we cry? Yes. Do we groan? Oh, yes. But we do it full of hope. We wait for it with patience. We look forward to the day. As Eddie wrote on his last notes, he said, I can't wait for that final reunion day. Forward hope. 
long-sighted, far-sighted, not short-sighted. And so here we see that as loving as Martha and Mary were to them, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Their faith is still short-sighted. And so we've got to grow in this. And here's the next thing that we learn. Number two, we learn that Jesus is patient with us as we grow in this kind of faith. Now think about it. They have been with Jesus. They were, this was a very close family to Jesus. I mean, every time Jesus came to Bethany, this is who He stayed with. These guys had heard and seen many of the triumphs and the victories that Jesus has done. John only recorded a few of them. These guys got to see and hear about most all of them. And yet, at this point, they look at Him and say, Jesus, you're four days late. If you had been here, you could have done something about it. But, you know, He's dead now. So, we're, there's nothing you can do. But thank you for coming. Don't you think Jesus could have looked at them and said, Guys, have y'all not seen who I am? Have y'all not, have y'all not understood what I do? And yet that's not what He does. Read with me in verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Jesus says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, Lord, I know. In other words, Martha, Martha's, she's pretty theologically sound. Okay? She understands about the resurrections and how they're going to take place and what Jesus is going to do on the last day. But notice what she says here. She says, Jesus, I already know that. I know that He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And if you want to know more about that, you can go back to John chapter 5 and John chapter 6 and Jesus taught them about it in those chapters. So Martha and Mary, they knew very well about the resurrection on the last day. And so they're thinking to themselves, okay, Jesus, listen, we already know that on the last day, God is going to raise these people up. Now, you're powerful. Now, Jesus, you can do a lot of things. And if you had been here, you could have healed him. But I already know that whatever you ask from God, God will do for you. You see her thinking here? She's still not there yet. And so she says to him, I know that there's going to be a resurrection on the last day. And here's where the, Jesus just drops the bomb. But He's patient with her. He's patient with her. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection. <laughs> yes, there is going to be a resurrection on the last day. And yes, I'm not here right now to raise everybody from the dead, but you need to understand something, Martha. It's not just that whatever I ask God, God does for me. Yes, that's true. But Martha, you need to understand something. I am the resurrection. It's not just something that I do for other people. It's who I am. I am the resurrection. I am the life. In other words, I'm the source of all life. I can choose to give life to whoever I choose to give life to. And yes, I'm going to do that on the last day. But I'm here now. And I'm going to prove to you that I am the one that does this. And he says to her, Whoever believes in me, 
Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know, we said this about Eddie, and I say this to any of your loved ones who died in faith in Christ. They're not dead. You're looking at a body, at, a, um, at this uh, clay jar that they lived in while they were here. But don't you think for one second that they're dead. You can go to that graveyard and it, it'll comfort you and, it'll, and, it, and it helps to be able to just sit and just talk. And yes, I get that. But don't you think for one second that your loved one is there. That clay shell is there. But they're not there because they're not dead. If they believe in Jesus, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, they never die. Eddie did not die. Your loved ones did not die. And then I love the question that Jesus asks here. Martha, do you believe this? Because that's the question that each and every one of you have to answer this morning. Do you believe this? That He is the Messiah? Not just the one that can fix a few temporary problems, but our hope is in the fact that when this life is over, He is the life. He is the resurrection. Verse 27, and I love this because she thinks she's there. How many of y'all think you're there? She thinks she's there. Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. So she gets it. She gets it. But she's growing in her faith. And that's the point that I get to all of you. You think you're there. <laughs> we think we're there. But we're growing in this faith in really understanding who Jesus is, and really understanding where to set our focus in this world, on really understanding what our hope should be in, and what we're reaching for, and what we're striving after. Paul said, I press toward the, toward the mark for the prize. And that's exactly where Martha is trying to get to. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so... Jesus is so patient with her. And so she says, yes, she believes it, but she still doesn't really get it. And so, <coughs> excuse me, one of the things that I want to get across to you this morning is that people have to grow in their faith. Look with me at John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus was talking to His disciples and He says to them, I have said these things to you that in Me you may have peace. So Jesus wants His disciples by believing in Him, by seeing who He is, that no matter what suffering they go through, that they will have peace. Because their faith is not short-sighted. I don't feel like that I'm a loser right now just because God don't deliver this darkness right now. My hope is that even though I groan inwardly now, I eagerly await the redemption of the body that's coming. And that hope saves me because I have full assurance in that hope. But I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you can replace that word with darkness. 
You can replace that word with hurt. You can replace that word with sickness, with disease, with lameness. with uh, You can replace that word with anything you want. But Jesus said very plainly, guys, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Trouble, suffering, hurt. But take heart. Why do we take heart? Because light has come in the world. And no darkness overcame it. He proved at each and every darkness that there is nothing this world can throw at him that he cannot conquer. And he did it so that you and I might believe that very thing. That one day, when all of this darkness is over, And that's the kind of faith and the hope that we're trying to achieve. And we have to grow in that hope. In uh, John chapter 3 verse 2, we see where Nicodemus had to grow in that hope. And and you remember, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus started out in in John chapter 3 verse 2 and he said, um, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you're from God. We know that you come from God because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is what? With him, anybody see a problem with theology in that? In 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 the who Jesus was, it's not that you are a teacher just come from God, but instead, Rabbi, we believe you are God in the flesh, God with us, the resurrection, the life, the living water, the bread of life. The way, the truth, the life. That's the reason why all the I am statements are in the Gospel of John. Because He came and He proved, I'm not just bread to get your next meal. I'm what? I am the bread of life. I'm not just water to quench your next thirst. I am living water. I'm not just light to light your next footstep in this world to show you what job you should take next. I am the light of the world. And anybody who walks by me will never stumble. I'm not just a way, I am the way. I'm not just a door, I am the door. I'm not just a shepherd, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and when I call them, they hear my voice and they follow me. I am. We're not just, Nicodemus, you got to grow in your faith, brother. It's a good thing that you believe that Jesus is a teacher come from God. But let me tell you something. you you got to go a little further in your faith. Jesus ain't just a good, good person come from God. He is God. He is the light of God that is shown in the darkness and overcame all the darkness in this world so that you might believe and have far-sighted hope, not short-sighted hope. John chapter 4 verse, um, I'm not going to read all that. John chapter 4 verse 19 through 26, we see the growth that the woman at the well had to, had to go through. And you can read that for yourself. In John 11 verse 27, again, Mary and Martha, uh, they believed, but they weren't quite there yet. In John chapter 16, go to this one, and I'm coming to a close. John chapter 16 verse 28, starting in verse 28. This is what Jesus was telling His disciples. Jesus said, I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. 
And His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Again, they think they're there, but keep going. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? (laughs) Do you now believe? And then verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. You think you believe, but wait till the trial comes. Wait till the suffering comes. Wait till the trouble in this world comes. You think you believe, but wait till your next thirst happens, or wait till your next hunger happens, or wait till your next sickness happens, or wait till your next disease happens, because that's where we see what you really believe. And then he says, Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things, that in me you may have peace. I've told you these things, I've showed you who I am, I've proven to you who I am over and over again. And I've said these things that in me you may have peace in your suffering, in your trial, in your sickness, and in your pain. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And how many of you know that it wasn't until after the resurrection that they actually truly believed? Came to the place in their heart where they saw, we don't care about the dark. How do you go from being a disciple who hides away in a locked room, scared to death for fear of your life, how do you go from that to just a few days later, you're the kind of person that preaching boldly, going to prison, taking stripes and beatings, and eventually giving your life for the cause of the gospel? How does that happen? Let me tell you something. The resurrection happened. And when they saw who Jesus was, they believed. And when you believe, everything in your life changes. When you believe, all of a sudden this becomes a priority in your life. I was talking to the security team this morning and I said, Guys, I said, most people have a problem. This is the back burner. So in other words, as long as my granddaughter don't have a birthday party, I'll be at church on Sunday. As long as we don't have this going on or this going on, I'll be at church Sunday. As long as this is not happening, I'll be at church. In other words, as long as I don't have anything else on my plate, I'll be there. You need to grow in your faith. You need to grow in your faith. And let me tell you the good news of this story. He's patient. He's patient while we grow. He's patient while we grow. Let me tell you one last thing. Go with me to John 11, verse 33 through 36. I'm going to stop on this one. Skip a few, as a matter of fact. John chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. We'll go through this one quickly. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. And He said, Where have you laid Him? And they said to Him, Lord, come and see. And notice these next two words. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Again, they're not there, are they? 
They're not there. They're growing, though. They're growing. But here's the point that I want to make this morning. What we learn about believing in Jesus from this is that He's not just someone who we're waiting on to come and conquer the darkness. But He is someone who is with us and sympathizes with us now while we're in the darkness. He came and experienced all of these darknesses itself. Do you know Jesus was hungry? That's right. He was so hungry the devil came to Him and said, Hey, you're the Son of God. <laughs> Turn the stones into bread! And was that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. Jesus was homeless. He told those that would follow Him or thought they wanted to follow Him, listen, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has what? Nowhere to lay His head. Jesus came here not just to purchase our redemption, not just to give us hope, because those are the big things, yes. But Jesus also came to experience our sufferings. You know why Jesus wept? Because He felt the pain of loss. He felt it. Now, did Jesus know that He was the resurrection and the life? Well, yeah, He knew it. But it didn't mean that He wasn't human and that He did not experience the pain. And so here's what I want to get across to you from this story this morning. Yes, our hope has to be farsighted. It can't be short-sighted. It's not about whether or not Jesus fixes any of our temporary darknesses right here and right now. My hope does not rise or fall based on whether I am sick or healthy. Based on whether my children are sick or healthy. The only thing that should do is increase my hope. That no matter what tribulation and suffering I have to endure in this world, there's coming a day. There is coming a day and He has proven that He's going to defeat all this darkness. And I won't deal with any sorrow, any pain, any suffering, any death anymore in that place. But until then, Hebrews chapter 4 says, He's not like those great high priests who can't sympathize with your weaknesses, but was in every way, in every way tempted, even as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, because of that, because He can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, listen to what He says, Therefore we should come boldly to the throne room of what? Grace. Grace. To receive what? Mercy in our time of need. You know what mercy is? Mercy is holding back what you deserve. How many of you know we deserve sickness? We deserve uh, sorrow. We deserve death. That's what we deserve. But when it comes, He can sympathize and He says, Come boldly. Because I have overcome this darkness, but I experienced it and I can sympathize with you. So come boldly to the throne room of grace. You've got to go to Him. And you've got to ask Him for mercy. Lord, I know this is what we deserve. But I need mercy. The groaning. (laughs) Lord, I need mercy. And he says that he is a sympathetic high priest 
who will give you mercy and give you grace in your time of need. Beautiful promise.